Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. While I'm on vacation, I'm replaying one of my favorite shows with one of my favorite guests, and that's none other than Amika Swami, a leader in this field. So listen in. Next week, I'm happy to have as a guest Rico Paganini, the author of DEI Legacy, Wisdom from the Plan of Creation, Divinity, and Redemption, a key to understanding what it means to be human in the time of turning into the 21st century, and that promises to be a wild show. I hope you listen in. Enjoy my conversation with Amit Goswami. When we eventually reach a new scientific paradigm, one that really does go beyond science and religion, Amit Goswami will deserve a lot of the credit. Ever since the publication of his first book in this field, the Self-Aware Universe, which he published in 1993, Ahmed has led the charge to build a new worldview based upon the primacy of consciousness. Since that first book, he has published many others, including The Visionary Window, Physics of the Soul, Quantum Evolution, God is Not Dead, and Quantum Activism. He has appeared in the film What the Bleep Do We Know?, and the Dalai Lama uh, Renaissance, as well as the award-winning documentary based upon his book, Quantum Activism. He is a retired professor from the Theoretical Physics Department of the University of Oregon in Eugene and pioneer of the new paradigm, Science Within Consciousness. It should also not be forgotten that Amit was also the author is also the author of a highly successful textbook entitled Quantum Mechanics. So I'm once again happy to have Amit back on the show, and today we're going to be discussing some of the ideas from his new and inspirational book, just published by Hay House, entitled Quantum Creativity, Think Quantum, Be Creative. Thanks a lot for joining us again, Amit. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Phil. Good to be here. Okay, well, I, I think it's always, it's always good when we're talking about quantum theory, and of course you are an expert in the field, to sort of lay the foundation here, because what we're going to try to do on this show is to draw a connection between quantum theory and creativity, because that's what you do in your book, and I think it's really an original, and I said, as I said before, an inspirational movement here. But first of all... I, I'd like you to take a shot at contrasting the quantum perspective versus what we call and what you call scientific materialism. So how is so how is quantum theory different from the get go? Quantum theory is different. Um, <laughs> but 
quantum theory, the fundamental difference is just a one-liner. Quantum theory says objects are possibilities. Objects are possibilities. And, and this makes a whole of a difference because um, in Newtonian physics, objects are regarded as determined things moving in one realm called space and time. This Wormian version, of course, is very uh, exclusive because it excludes then all other thinking in the past, thinking the religions and spiritual traditions that there are two realms of reality, heaven and earth, or thinking of the psychologists like Freud and Jung, which said uh, there are two realms of our existence, unconscious and conscious. Um, this, this, of course, is squarely um, an opposite thinking, that there is only one realm. Quantum physics suggests the uh, spiritual religion and the psychologist version of two realms. It says there is a domain of potentiality, which is the uh, quantum physics predicts, which is mathematics, but of course quantum physics cannot deny that there is the actual realm of space and time in which there seems to be particles moving. And uh, so how do you come to terms with quantum physics they are the questions that will liberate us from the uh, straight jacket that Newtonian thinking, scientific materialist, materialist thinking, that there is only one realm and there is only matter moving in space-time that causes everything. Um, when we do that, when we find answers to the question of how do possibilities become actualities of our experience, we find that there is causal power in this domain. Uh, there is an experimentally discernible causal power in this domain. And uh, experiments now have been done. And these experiments are clearly showing that this causal power uh, is undeniably that which ancient people got. And so on one hand, uh, the new world he was promising to unite some of the uh, the joint, the disparate worldview of the past, namely religions and scientific materialism. On the other hand, we are getting a handle on phenomena which clearly have a quantum overtone, namely uh, creativity. Because Newtonian physics ultimately is deterministic. However much you say that um, uh, our creativity comes from our brain, but we should never forget that the brain has no causal power at the higher levels. All causal power of the brain, according to scientific materialism, comes from elementary particles and their interaction. And it's a mind-boggling problem how we try to solve these issues from scientific materialism. Yeah, it's, I... a really so, it's really sophistry. Anyway. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm just going to say that I I think I think the distinction that that you've made here and it's important to underline it which is that in the scientific materialism perspective which essentially governs the way most people think there is there is this real independent material world that is deterministic that it it, it determines us that the particles are independent and that they have an independent existence, existence from, from consciousness, and therefore it leads to the, at least the suggestion, 
that there's nothing we can do about it, that we can't control our fate, that our, our own consciousness has no role in what we become or what the world becomes. And as you point out in a number of your books, using the von Neumann approach to quantum theory, that's not what quantum theory says, is it? it quantum theory says that, that we live in a world of possibilities, that, that, there is, <laughs> that the consciousness has a role to play, right? Something yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah, and and, yeah. That, and that's a beautiful that's a beautiful thing. And you know, Ahmed, it always amazes me on how on how modern physics right now is sort of in the balance between honoring the precepts of quantum theory, but still holding on to the mechanical world picture. I mean, I, yes, it does not exclude either one. That is the surprise that the that quantum worldview includes both the old ideas and throws away uh, the chaff as much of the old ideas as it uh, includes scientific materialism and again throws away the chaff uh, wishful thinking, promissory materialism of the latter. So in a way, um, we have looked for such an integration for a long time and we have found it. Um, of course, the task is to convince both groups, the two different groups, religions and the scientific materialists, and both are very stubborn in their own ways because they have very established, you know, territory. Right. <laughs> they're right. not going to give up the territorial. That's true. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, and and that's what makes this that's what makes this whole field challenging, doesn't it? I mean. I always think it's one thing to be right, but it's another thing to convince the other side that you're right. It's it's very it's there's a there's a sociological a psychological component to this. I mean that's a it's a whole other topic, but yes. but you know but I I know you have been right in the middle of this, which is talking to uh, the mainstream physicists and the mainstream religious folks. And it's sort of like sometimes I feel the truth can be staring you in the face, but your preconceptions of what it's supposed to look like might prevent you from seeing it. You know, it's, yeah, uh, because you can always find these truths which will produce uh, uh, ways to wiggle out of the present problems by sophistry. Right. And there is enough ambiguity always in any kind of new presentation compared to the old presentations. I'll give you one witness of what we do today that all scientists hone on enormously, which is the old belief uh, developed on the basis of our success in the past is that the uh, world is very mathematical. Right. And this uh, mathematical world would be very comforting to many people because then world becomes uh, totally controllable and totally predictable and this kind of healthy experts because the experts have said, look, our prediction is what is uh, essential for you to depend on and therefore uh, it creates an elite. Uh, whether or not we like elitism, that's a different issue, but we all have become very dependent on these technocrats who have the solution. They are the ones who innovate, they are the ones who give us new benefits. We buy them, keep the economy running, and look at our 
thunderbolting is getting up and up and up while wealth is increasing. So this success is very difficult to lose sight of. Right. And this elite technocrats always uh, remind us of it, and they're very reluctant to give it up. The idea. So they're developing their own worldviews based on everything is information, you know. Uh, books are, tons of books come out and their, their books are much more successful in terms of total numbers of sales, etc. So it, 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 is, it is a very coordinated effort. What it leaves out, of course, is the, is the human being. It's a world of machines. But unfortunately, as I said, the success is quite remarkable. And therefore, uh, for ordinary people to see through uh, success takes to um, take time, A, B, a philosophical savvy, which, of course, the scientific materialists keep you away from. And you'll notice how books have become quite unpopular now in favor of information processing. Uh, most people are not buying books anymore. They would rather have the information and go from there. And, and this kind of um, undermining of uh, the whole system is what produces eventually something that happened before. Namely, the religion did the same thing in the past, and, uh, you know, that produced the Middle Ages when nothing actually happened. You, you, you see in our society how close we are in another uh, situation how nothing actually happened. Yeah, I'm always, I, always, I always go back to that old saying, and I think, I don't know if it was Wigner um, who said that, I think it was him, who said that uh, science progresses funeral by funeral. Um, so, <laughs> because, you know, yeah, I always say if you... I don't know who said that, but it's, yes, it's sort of It's sort of like, indeed. sometimes I always say if you can't beat them, outlive them. Uh, and so, because <laughs> it's sort of like, I mean, in your book, and this, this is related to, to, to creativity as well, uh, you know, it's so important to have an open mind, and it's, it's the child's mind, the beginner's mind, and I'm afraid, one thing, I'm afraid sometimes that, that we don't have enough people sort of taking a pure, clean, fresh look at things and that there's a lot of assumptions we make about what the world's supposed to be, what matter's supposed to be, who we are, that we don't question. And and so, but luckily, we have new generation, new you know, coming up. We have uh, young people who once again have the pure minds, and I and I just hope through the cycle here, uh, we're going to gradually clean out some of the, of the debris that is clogging our perception, because frankly. We are living. We are really in a schizophrenic mindset here, between balance between this mechanical world and accepting what quantum theory is telling us. You know, I mean, it, yeah, it, it and is, don't don't forget, don't forget the power of the uh, power that the religions are still wielding. So, so this this yeah. unfortunate uh, decision by uh, many people to hold on to the all these systems called religion and yeah. um, the other groups, so long as they feel quite solid in terms of protecting their turf of, for example, sexual freedom against uh, popular Christianity, they, they seem to be doing uh, the society a service 
you know, um, and therefore uh, their own archaic belief systems, which keeps quantum creativity out of our uh, uh, everyday life, uh, that seems to be inaccurately part of their package, but very few people are aware of it. Yeah. So what we do is unconsciously we teach this scientific materialist system in the elementary school and build the prejudices in the minds of the children from the get-go. And, and that produces enormous confusion. For example, I'm startled by the fact of how many people don't believe in the archetypes, uh, the absolute truth of the archetypes, the absolute nature of the archetypes anymore, even like truth. Truth is widely perceived now as relative. What we don't understand, of course, is that if truth is relative, then what you get is Fox News. Yeah. Uh, if anybody's relative truth is, uh, if truth is relative, then what prevents us Limbaugh to uh, give his truth, which is anti-evolution, anti-many of the things that science says. So, you know, it, it just sets up an artificial battle of things um, in a way that both sides are quite ignorant of. Yeah. They are so interested in turf battling that they become oblivious that the means they are using are destructive of the validity of their own uh, things that they're trying to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's true. This is this is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm very happy to be speaking right now with Amika Swami and about his new book, Quantum Creativity. Be uh, think quantum, be creative, and we are making a transition here between quantum theory and its in its uh, status right now in being integrated into the modern mindset and what quantum theory has to say about creativity and we're focusing right now on a very important point it's really a sign of the times which is that we haven't we haven't uh, integrated quantum theory and the principles and the conclusions into our mindset and we're also having a hard time it seems coming to terms with objective with objective truth now you mentioned archetypes why don't you explain for the listener a little bit what these archetypes are Amit well um, Plato first introduced the concept of archetype um, we have an experience called intuition Right. And um, we also know that intuition is uh, something um, that we cannot quite express, but it does express itself eventually as a thought and sometimes also as strong feelings in the body, like a shiver in the spine. This much we know. And we know that we sometimes become perturbed by this um, intuition. We know um, that from that feeling in our body, what we often call God feeling, that intuition is trying to tell us something, and we try to capture it in thought. When we capture it in thought, it tells us about various things. Eventually, Plato summarized those things, those contexts of our thinking in those occasions of intuition, and he called them archetypes. These things are love, beauty, truth, a major one, justice, self, goodness, uh, abundance, uh, and you will notice that each of these uh, archetypes uh, are the basis of most of human professional interests. Uh, for example, a healer uh, tries to heal us. What is heal? Healing means healing comes from wholeness. 
Okay, so let's let's do this. Let's let's draw a connection now between quantum theory and creativity, and this is something that oh. you do. So why don't you? Because because we've already opened up this this concept. We've we've laid the table a little bit because for those who haven't studied quantum theory, the fact of the matter is is that one of the things quantum theory shows as we've both said is that the world does not consist of independent particles it, like little billiard balls or little ball bearings existing independent of consciousness instead as the experiments show such as the the double uh, blind experiment or the, or the uh, two slit experiment double sorry the, the double uh, slit experiment uh, that that really we live in a world of possibilities that and and right. so now that where consciousness plays a big role if not a preeminent role in forming the world we live in okay so how did you make this connection between quantum theory and creativity where's the connection in your mind the, the connection first of all uh, is from the opening line of what quantum physics quantum physics is the physics of possibilities it says objects are possibilities so this is the fundamental thing. Why is that, that so fundamental? What is the possibility wave that quantum physics predicts, gives us mathematics to portray them? To 
find the details of this way behavior. So what is a wave of possibility? All of us have, uh, are familiar with sound waves, even water waves that we can see on water, playing out, expanding. So we know the characteristic of waves as opposed to particles. Particles are localized, waves spread out. They can be at more than one place at a time. This is their characteristic. Right. But what do we mean wave of possibility? We mean that these waves are possibly in more than one place at a time, not actually. So when we say electron is a wave of possibility, what we mean is that if I release an electron in a room, the electron will be all over the room in possibility. But if we actually set up a grid of Geiger counter, uh, not all the Geiger counters will tick at the same time. In measurement, we'll always find the electron localized upon price. So we said, well, electron has a wave of possibility nature and a particle nature. In space-time, it shows up as a particle, but in a domain of potentiality outside of space and time, it is a wave of possibility. Now, this was just theory, but in 1982, um, hell broke loose in science because uh, experimenters were able to demonstrate that, yes, there is indeed such a domain of potentiality through which communication is instantaneous. We can uh, communicate instantaneously between uh, two places separated by miles um, without any signals passing between them, without any speed limit that space-time communication would entail. In space and time, every movement is limited by the speed of light limit. That's the speed limit. Einstein established that. It's called right. the theory of relativity. Right. So accordingly, we have to accept that in space and time, instantaneous communication is impossible. But as Fay and others uh, showed in 1982, by actual experimental data, now uh, even an ordinary physics student, graduate student can do such an experiment in any laboratory in the world. So uh, it's unquestionably that there is such a domain of reality, domain of potentiality, which is distinguished from the space-time reality by the fact that there is no speed limit in that domain. Communication is instantaneous, that's not required signal. What is the meaning of that? As soon as you look at the meaning, you find, well, it just means that in that realm, there is only one thing. There is no boundary, no condition, it's only one thing. And therefore, communication does not require any signal. If you are communicating with yourself, you know that you don't require a signal. This is the idea. So what should we call this one thing? Uh, examination brings us the idea this one thing is consciousness. Consciousness then is the ground of being in which all possibilities exist. This is such a liberating statement. You can make a science now which entails, incorporates all of our experiences, not just material objects, but also mental, but also the vital objects of feeling, but also the intuitive objects of archetypes. And this is what enables us to found a new creativity. Because creativity, as I said, involves fundamentally non-material objects, like meaning. Creativity is the discovery of new meaning of value. Where does meaning come from? Uh, Roger Penrose has shown that it is extremely unlikely that meaning can come from material processing because computers cannot process meaning. Well, they are symbol processing machines. 
Yeah, and I th- I think this is this is an ext- as you say this is an extremely liberating viewpoint for a number of reasons, and let me try to summarize them because what what we're talking about is that we're talking about the root of reality here. We're not talking about just some fine uh, superficial veneer on reality. We're talking about at the root of reality, which is the reality that we experience, are not hard and fast things, but, but possibilities, which means that consciousness has a role and the preeminent role in determining the experiences we have and therefore the the choices we make are fundamental to the world we experience and when you give up that choice to somebody else or to to dogma for example whether it's religious or scientific dogma you're basically giving up to me Amit you're giving up your freedom you're giving up you're giving up uh, your choices as a human being when, when you don't think for yourself. Because I think what you're saying, if I'm reading you, you you're right here, is that we are fundamentally creative beings. That's what yeah. we are. That's what we are. We are fundamentally creative, but we lose that creativity when we, when we have these wrong-headed ideas. Yeah, right? that is one of the things that we do. Of course, there are other things built into us at this stage of our evolution that does not make creativity in any way, namely our um, tendency to become conditioned, our tendency, that conditioned tendency not only prevents us from creativity by creating things like fear, uncertainty, anxiety about the uh, future that creativity will bring because it's exploration of something unpredictable, something new. But also we have the tendency of listening to other people, which of course prevents an open mind. For right. example, this straight jacket of scientific materialism, which many people wear, uh, without realizing that preventing their creativity itself because it's undermining creativity by saying that fundamental creativity cannot exist in the sense we're talking about as an exploration of archetypes. Creativity can exist only as a rehash of what we know already. Uh, so this view of creativity is, is, is fundamentally uh, important to the new view, fundamentally important to recognize from the get-go that no, we are not material machines. We have to give up predictability of ourselves, mathematical precision of predictability and all this stuff, because then only creativity starts making sense as we know it. Creativity as we know it, uh, it is not the creativity that can be generated from a machine. And we have to understand it thoroughly, although we recognize that we have some machine aspects built into us too. We cannot ignore it. Yeah. Um, and this is, the, this is the integration. Integration yes. is to recognize that, yes, we have machine aspects, but we can overcome them and embrace creativity, but we have to learn the creative process. We have to learn how to think in the quantum way. What is the quantum way of thinking? How is it different from Newtonian way? Well, computers can think only what one level. And they do, they can think. It's not true that computers are not thinking machines. Thinking has a part as an aspect of it, which is algorithmic, step by step. And computers do that even better than human beings. As you know, computers can defeat uh, even the greatest chess masters of our time. 
Right. So they do thinking very well. But they cannot do creative thinking. Because right. creativity requires the two-level thinking, the capacity of thinking both in the unconscious and the conscious. Right. So that is our forte. This is the thing that machines cannot simulate. You, only human beings can partake in two-level processing. And that unconscious processing, creativity theorists have been talking about that, creativity field researchers have been talking about that for a long time. We need both preparation and unconscious processing to get to that quantum leap of insight that we manifest in creativity. There are these four stages, preparation, unconscious processing, quantum leap of sudden insight, and uh, manifestation. Okay, I want to talk. Okay, okay, I yeah, want to talk. I want to talk a little bit more about that in a second. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Amika Swami, one of the leaders in the consciousness as primary source movement. Uh, his original book in this field, The Self Aware Universe, really set the tone for a lot of thinking where we place consciousness at the root of reality rather than matter. We're speaking uh, with Amit right now about his new book, Quantum Creativity, and making the link between quantum theory and creativity. You know, Amit, one thing that came across that I want to mention this as I was reading your book, you know, one of the things you say, uh, and you just listed the four elements, one of them is preparation and, you know, reading the material and letting it incubate, is that... One thing that hit me as I was reading your book is that it there's a good chance, I think, that the quantum theory, and it's really the, the uh, decoherence or it's really the, um, the dis, dis, discontinuity, the leaping, uh, that is really all over our world. It's really, I mean, I, I have not read your book, Quantum uh, Evolution, yet, although I'm going to, but it seems to me that the fossil record, for example, shows discontinuity. The, the, whole, the whole area of creativity, as you're saying, creativity in essence is a leap from one place to some place that no one's ever been before. And there is, it's not like a little logical path. Right. I no. mean, and 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 it's so algorithms for creativity. Right. Right. There is it. Right. I mean, and that's what that's what's amazing about it. And that's that is we we forget that there's probably nothing higher than creativity, because you know it's this yeah. this is the mind going from one place to some place that's never been. So on that score, I'd like you to uh, discuss for a second here what you mean by inner creativity and outer creativity because you make this distinction in your book and I, I want to focus a little bit n now on some of the some of the new insights that you bring to this topic so what do you mean by inner creativity and then outer thanks Phil because we, this is what we really need to discuss because the questions that become paramount is that how is all this talk of creativity important for the ordinary person and uh, by that, what we mean is that the creativity uh, that is in the outer arena, that is very easy to define, very easy to distinguish. It's an usual creativity, creativity of the talented people, creativity of music, creativity in literature, creativity in science, creativity in all the things that experts do, talented people do. 
But um, uh, requiring, uh, in question about that, what we are admitting is that it requires talent. And um, we can always ask, but there are many people who don't have any talent or does not, do not seem to have any talent. What about them? How is creativity relevant to them? Why are you saying things like creativity is uh, potential in everyone if so many people are excluded from it because talent is a pre-requirement of creativity? What I point out in this book is that there are other areas of creativity. It's not, creativity is not to be understood only that which requires talent. Why is talent required in music? Because there is so much already done that without talent you cannot, you know, everybody has the capacity to sing and everybody has really, believe it or not, capacity to be creative in music. But you cannot make a living out of that by your uh, rudimentary creativity and rudimentary capacity of singing because the field is so established. There is too much sophistication, too many levels of ladder already established so that if you want to contribute to the uh, pool of successful musicians, you really have to go through a lot of training. This is the problem. So it's true of science. You have to go to graduate school, get a degree. It takes 30 years of our lives to do that. And, and, and that's a lot for people to commit. Not everybody has that capacity. We need talent to do that. So the um, need for talent, need for talent, is because of the sophistication of the field. But there are areas of our life where sophistication is not needed. This is what is inner creativity is about. Things that enrich our life, our capacity to love, our capacity to be fair to everyone, justice, our capacity to establish beauty in our life, to appreciation of beauty. This is something that the artists do, but if we do uh, in ordinary uh, life, expression of uh, finding appreciation of beauty, then we don't, uh, unless we are looking to express it as art, we don't need sophistication just for learning to how to appreciate beauty. For that, uh, sophistication is not a requirement. And same thing for wholeness, if you want to heal, do we need the sophistication? If yes, if you want to make a living healing others, then you do. But if you want to heal yourself, how much sophistication do you need? You will find that there is not really much need for sophistication. Instead, what you need is creativity, understanding the creative exploration. That's, that's all that you need. And it goes on and on and on. Yes. This is what inner creativity is about. Using the quantum principles to change how you live, this is yeah. where creativity has to be applied. This is the 21st century problem. 21st century will have increasingly people using quantum principles because now we know what the process is for creativity and we can apply them without the need for talent or sophistication or anything yes. except the one thing to change, that intention. That is enough and knowing the process which is laid out in the book, how to do it. Yes. We have the know-how now, so there is no excuse that you can make our, your internal environment, the psyche where you mostly live, a better place to live for yourself. What is the benefit of that? You will find that your capacity of handling the outside world goes up by leaps and bounds because your mind is finally a place where you enjoy living. Yes. You don't have to escape escape into other 
thinking or escape into foolish information processing or escape into entertainment that does not satisfy you. Instead, you will be always be in peace in your internal environment from which to handle the challenges that the outside world brings to you in your yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I really liked about your book, uh, Quantum Creativity, Ahmed, is that you, you have a really good collection of of anecdotes from creative people, from some of the great artists, poets, writers, scientists. And I was wondering, as you were doing that research and reading about these great thinkers from um, from Sam, Samuel Courage to Einstein and, and so many others, did you did you notice anything unique about them. I mean, what separates the classic creativity or the or the creative people from the person on the street? Is there something that's different about the folks that have had these deep creative insights? Yes, there's something that separates them, uh, and uh, the, this separateness can be expressed by saying that they develop early on. Uh, a, something that we call curiosity. Now, this curiosity is a very peculiar phenomenon, and it can be traced to developing a purposiveness of their life. Uh, where does that come from? Because they lean uh, to the purposiveness of the universe. Somehow, this capacity of tuning in to the purposiveness of the universe is very, very important. So how can anyone be creative? Part of the package, not only is to learn the creative process, but also learn. This also, again, does not require talent, does not require satisfaction. Just that one thing to, that one thing to be creative, that one thing to tune into the universal purpose so that I can find the source, process, tenacity to be creative. Because creativity does involve considerable amount of effort that uh, start creativity preparation, that is not easy. The rest of creativity follows, uh, including learning to relax. But uh, that can be learned, that the preparation requires perseverance, preparation requires tenacity, uh, that you have to uh, assume. You yes. cannot say that it comes easy. Some books uh, popularize it too much. They say, well, all you have to do is to learn to wait. No, that is not true. Uh, creativity, even creativity about love, inner creativity, depends on the prepared mind. You have to want it. You have to be curious about it. You have to understand and really feel that love is the way that the universe operates. Then, so um, yeah. that important of that tuning is, is very important. Yeah. The other thing that you find is that they have a sense of their personal destiny in addition to universal purpose. This sense of personal then destiny comes from their reincarnational uh, aspect of hum all human life. Uh, in other words, uh, certain things that we learn, uh, quantum physics says, become established outside of space and time as non-local memory. Then you can you can we can bring it to our uh, next life, next incarnation. So quantum physics gives us a science of reincarnation. And there is enough data to suggest now that we really have a phenomenon called reincarnation. We reincarnate again and again. 
Yeah, I, yeah, so, I wanna, yeah, I wanna, I wanna emphasize a couple things here uh, before we uh, move on because I think reincarnation is a is a fascinating uh, addition to this topic. But but when you said uh, you know curiosity, and I I think that that is underrated because I happen to think that you have to have an appreciation for the wonder of the world. The more that you appreciate it, and it, it leads to curiosity. You know, I, I, you know, the one story you gave about Einstein being a young boy, and I think somebody gave him a compass, and, mm-hmm. and he was just intrigued by how it was always pointing in one direction. You know, just, just little things like that, because if you have this deep... Uh, understanding or, or deep fascination, wonderment over why why does that happen? You know, why does the rain fall down and not up? Why why are why are are there trees for birds to make nests in? And why are there herbs and spices that go with our food? And why are the why does the world feel like you know feel like it fits together so well? I mean, you have to take that step back. And frankly, Ahmed, I think that that step back is at the root of religion, is at the root of spirituality. And, and I'm, I'm amazed by so many, uh, you know, mainstream religious followers who forget that, you know, religion is really based upon the wonder of the world, it, the, the gifts that God has bestowed upon man, you know, all that stuff. And so, so I, guess, I guess what I, I'd just like to add to, uh, to what you were saying about curiosity, because I, I do think that, you know, it, and that's, this is why it might be so hard, because you sort of have to, you know, take a deep breath and appreciate uh, the the wonder, you know, uh, of the world that we live in. Um, yeah, but the, but the thing to notice, Phil, is that uh, we should not lose heart by the fact that as adults we are appreciating Sometimes we are not appreciating at all or appreciating very much less that we need to, to be creative. The reason is that our upbringing does not preserve something that we naturally had in our childhood. That's the effect of our educational system right now. But actually, it it, it comes naturally to us. Curiosity is not an unnatural thing when we are children. It's a natural thing. Why is it a natural thing? Because as children... We have all the channels of communication to the universe open, including the one that I called intuition before, including the one that is a doorway to the listening to the archetypes. So that is what makes us curious, because we are completely open as children to intuition, to our feelings, to our thinking, to also, of course, sensing. That's the material part. As we grow up in the educational system right now, which is way, way in favor of scientific materialism, religions have not kept on watch. They should have. You know, if Christianity is really opposed to evolution, they really should not just, you know, put all their eggs in one basket. Yeah. Evolution is not taught in schools. But what they teach is even more fundamental scientific materialism, which is everything is made of material objects like elementary particles. And that prejudice is much deeper than the prejudice about evolution. Uh, so foolishly, we have allowed our education to be stilted towards the prejudices of scientific materialism unknowingly, and that is what has taken the curiosity away from most of our students. Yeah. 
because you know children can figure it out if everything is made of elementary particles we have no cause of power and why should we bother why should we bother about curiosity because curiosity is telling us to uh, connections that is automatically given to us we have no role to play in that all we can do is to just cope with what is being offered information and how to process them to make money so that we can indulge in pleasures yes because that materialist lifestyle is a very simple one you know it, it, everything is given to you all you have to know is how to manipulate them to increase pleasure versus decrease pain yeah. and that's the strategy yeah it's simple it's simple but i also think that it's also short term and not very happy uh, this is this is this is Philip Camella. This is conversations beyond science and religion. We're speaking with Amit Goswami, the author of the new book Quantum Creativity. Think quantum, be creative, and we're talking about the necessary role of creativity in our lives and how quantum theory lays the foundation for us all to be uh, for us all to be more creative. Now, I want to again highlight something uh, you just said that I th- that really is important on this show I myself in my new book The Collapse of Materialism I, I criticize materialism and I do think it's it's got to it's got to leave it's got to it's got to leave town and Amit has been doing this for a long time uh, we're not exactly on the same page with the solution although we're very very close but I I want to emphasize something that Amit just said that materialism, the scientific world view that we're currently under right now, to me, um, it, 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 it separates us from the world, and it makes us think that this is just sort of a random creation out of nowhere. We don't have an appreciation for it. If we have a role to play in creation, in creating our world, then, then boy... <laughs> That builds up the responsibility. It builds up the appreciation. I, I feel like uh, sometimes I just read about a boxer uh, that I won't mention his name, but he's got like you know hundred million dollars and he's got all these cars and it's as if it's as if you know it was only him that did all this. As if it was you know he's just a king uh, for a day, uh, where not realizing that the only way that was made possible is because of a of of a of a unified consciousness or a unified story i mean i'm sort of getting ahead of myself here but the point is is that materialism itself is ultimately to me destructive because it separates us from a world that is coming from us now I yeah. like I like you to talk about from a practical level, and I I sort of interrupted you a little bit a while back when you were talking about the four stages of creativity, and I think it's important for you to go through them, because you know you you've put a lot of thought into this and you've read a lot about the creative process, and I'd like you to summarize for the listener the steps for creativity. Okay, let's go over it. Go over it. What the steps are and where quantum comes in, okay. and how easy it is to really do it. And there is uh, what habits prevent you from doing it. It's very easy to appreciate, really. So, again, the four stages are preparation, unconscious processing, which is sometimes called integration, uh, relaxing, 
third sudden insight, which we now identify as a quantum leap. It is continuous change, discontinuous movement. When electrons go from one atomic orbit to another, it does not go through intervening space. That's our model. And uh, finally, manifestation. Manifestation is bringing the effect of the insight into a product. Product yeah. can be outer product, like art or science or literature, or can be inner product. You yourself have learned to do something new, yeah. like loving. Yeah. Well, one of the so, things I really yeah. love about, well, one of the things I, and I, I want to insert this point here, one of the things I really like about the way you do this is you emphasize the need to relax because yeah. we I can uh, I'm in the legal profession and it is there's many professions that are burnouts that that there <laughs> is no that you think that you're on this treadmill and all you got to do is sell 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 or work 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 and and it, it burning out to me means you haven't given yourself your mind yourself time to rest and and as you point out incubate over the problem and I'm also yeah. very encouraged frankly because I don't really think that life is all pain and suffering I do think that you've got to relax and enjoy yourself a little bit but you know between these episodes of work and inspiration so I just wanted to say that that, that that's it's very very good and I think that's an important to emphasize and and what you emphasize here that I hear that everybody should hear is the role of inspiration it's inspiration that we miss in the uh, if we get established in that pleasure pain syndrome, because inspiration uh, is different from pleasure or pain. It's a doorway. Inspiration is a doorway towards something that goes beyond, which is the wholeness, something that is beyond this known, but into the unknown. And this is what creative process is doing. What is it doing in the and conscious processing and the preparation, there's a lot of nuance, a lot of subtlety in it, but not as important as understanding what, why we need relaxation. If you throw a pebble in a pond, you create water waves. Have you seen how the water waves, the crest, crest lines become bigger and bigger circles? This is very important. So for a wave of possibility, if we allow it to spread, what happens? It becomes a bigger wave of possibility. What does that mean? It means a bigger pool of possibilities with many more facets than it was initially. So if we allow an idea to develop in the unconscious, then we allow it to entail more and more and more and more possibilities. And then you think of all these other waves of possibility that we create. We're not just thinking about one thing in the preparation phase. We have to develop a quality called divergent thinking. We think about many stuff as answers. And so all these waves are developing in the unconscious um, and proliferating, proliferating, interacting, interfering with other waves and generate a huge, huge pool of possibility for us to choose from. This is why that unconscious processing is so powerful. That ability to relax is so powerful. But actually, what happens is that uh, we need the soaking of the fire in a fireplace, just like that. Unless we stoke and remove the cinder, what happens is that this unconscious uh, processing, this part loses focus. So you have to bring in, like stoking a fire in a fireplace, 
we have to bring in occasionally that do phase. Yeah. So it's the alternative do be do be do. It yeah. is the mantra of the quantum creative. Do be do be do. Then insight. And then insight is a quantum leap. We already talked enough about it. Yeah. And finally manifestation. Now yeah. this manifestation also has a beautiful quantum aspect, which is in manifestation, we require both listening to the insight that listener in ourselves to insights and that listener is not the ego it's called the quantum self or in the spiritual jargon you're probably more familiar with the you know, phrase holy spirit in right. christianity it's called holy spirit so holy spirit of course in christianity is separate from us uh, in the new science uh, you know anything separate from us is not scientific and we recognize it as part of us it's a deeper self which transpersonal psychology also uh, appreciates. In quantum physics, we call it the quantum self. So in the manifestation stage, what happens is a beautiful experience of flow uh, is what is experiential. People experience flow. What is flow? Flow is a free encounter where we are uh, almost at once in the ego and in the quantum self. We, uh, in the ego, we provide the expertise for expression. So it's literally an interaction, back and forth interaction between idea and form. Quantum self listens to the idea, and ego gives it the ability to make form. Yeah. How yeah. to make a representation of the idea. Yeah, that's that. So creativity that. has its own reward. Creative life has this charm of getting into a rhythm of life where both are relaxing and doing, dooby-dooby-doo, yep. and then we get into the flow of creativity, which is a joyful experience in contrast to that pleasure-pain experience. Yeah. yeah, I want... And we live in the flow perpetually, what creative people do most of the time, yeah. they live in flow, which is amazing. Yeah, well, I, I want to... Now, Ahmed just, just, just gave his summary, this, this uh, the which, which you have... Uh, cleverly summarized as uh, as dooby dooby doo but but there's a lot of meaning there i want to i want to underscore basically what you're saying is that work then rest work then rest right i mean it's do but be part of your being right go it's 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 the transition work rest work relax work relax and and to me that is the fountain of creativity, and that's what works for me. I mean, what works? I mean, and and I've I've experienced I've experienced this a lot. I mean, for example, Amit, one of the person, one of the people that inspires me are people I don't agree with, uh, like like Richard, <laughs> yes. like like Richard Dawkins. I read one of his books, and I have all sorts of inspirations because it sort of <laughs> triggers, <laughs> it triggers, you know, these other ideas. And and I think that it's you know or or Steven Weinberg or Lawrence Krauss. I mean, yeah, I respect their writing ability, the fact that they that they have some ideas, but but to me that's part of the preparation. And then I think about it, and out pops out pops the ideas. Now, I want to. Uh, some people may be wondering here, and this is this is one of my own questions uh, that. It, about the the uh, let's call it the collapse of the possibilities or the or the or the selection or the consciousness choosing the possibilities w why is it that that in the um, von Neumann or the or the um, the interpretation of, of quantum uh, 
uh, physics that rests upon there being a realm of possibilities. Why is it that like two people will experience the same collapse? Or put differently, why would two people, even looking at the two-slit experiment, why would two people see the same collapse if consciousness... Yes, this is important. So the resolution of the paradox, uh, this observer effect, that in the presence of the observer, possibilities collapse to actuality. This uh, resolution, a complete resolution, depends on the recognition that um, there is no meaning to consciousness as a single object consciousness. If we think that our individual consciousness is the nature of consciousness, we cannot solve the quantum measurement problem. Consciousness that chooses must be objective, beyond yours and mine consciousness, right. beyond the consciousness of two, two observers choosing different things. Because if two observers are individual consciousness, indeed, it would be quite right to assume that they would choose different things. But right. we can only have one choice, uh, one reality, because there's only one Geiger counter that takes an individual experiment. It's experimentally, it's just not seen ever that we can uh, choose at two different places, two different observers, and get two different results for the same particular event of collapse. It's always at one place at a time. Right. So how is it that we are doing it that way? And the answer is, Consciousness is subjective. It's not subjective. It's not individual. That its totality of that interconnectedness, that the domain of potentiality has experimentally. Yeah. It's that one interconnected thing. And this is the basis of mystical experience as well. When Jesus says, kingdom of God is everywhere, this is what he means. Kingdom of God is all over this domain of potentiality. Yes. And then this is why it's all one thing, one yes. kingdom. Yes, yes, and I and that's that's what I was hoping you would say because that's I think the necessary result, and it brings to mind uh, what George Berkeley said about a very similar topic. And I assume you've read George Berkeley, the uh, 18th century philosopher, who 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 had who people make fun of him all the time because he is the guy who's who uh, came up who um, to be is to be perceived. And there's a joke about, well, if a tree falls in a forest, does it make a sound if no one's around there to hear it? I mean, there's a lot of jokes about him. But he he actually came up with a very similar conclusion from a little different yeah. standpoint where he said, you know, uh, you know, he thought that the that the world was a, a vision, an idea. And he said, and the question was, well, 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 why, why do we all see the same world? And he, and he came to the conclusion that that it was all in the mind of God, and that 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 um, you know conclusion has been reframed in many different ways. But I think that itself is consistent with the collapse. Yeah, well, that that is only one little inconsistency there. It's not so little actually. Yeah. He did think uh, that mind of God uh, dualistically. He yeah. thought that mind of God is separate from the mm. mind of the human. And that is uh, yes. one correction. True, that true. Is that, that's a good correction. point. Quantum physics is saying yeah. mind of God is us only yeah. at a deeper level, at the level of the unconscious. Yeah. It's yeah. unconscious in us. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's, a, that's a huge difference if you, yeah. if you think about it. Yeah. But it's also a small difference if you are already inclined thinking about it. It's just a 
you know, procedural yeah. thing, because in Berkeley's time, literally, it would be very difficult to think of quantum non-locality, yeah. which, as I said, it's a discovery of 1982. Now it is easy for me to think like this, but, but, but before, it took 20, 30 years of mystical search before you could see the oneness, uh, before you could appreciate the meaning of oneness. So for yeah. ordinary people who would not go through such rigor, you would all, of course, think dualistically like Berkeley did, and most religious people do. Yes, yes, and that I think that I think that's really I think that's really true. It's sort of like that long journey. Um, this this does take this does take some work, but you know the beauty of it is, and and I, and I mean I mean the journey from materialism to the unity of consciousness, or the journey from. Uh, thinking that the world is apart from us is only fundamentally matter to the to to understanding that consciousness is at the root. It's it's a it's a journey that a lot of people are on. Uh, there's there's obstacles in the way, but it really it really is is never ending. It really is never ending because once you get on the right path, it's I I don't think the path ever ends. Um, and uh, you know, and, and that that's why I'm doing it, and I think that it's it's a much more optimistic and credible framework. Uh, and I'm happy, you know, we've come to the end of the show so fast, and there's a lot of a lot of things we didn't cover. And I do this, you know, every time we talk on it, we have I have the same issue, which is that there's so much to talk about with you um, on these on these issues. Uh, but you know, I'm optimistic that with people like you. And, and and others such as Rupert Sheldrake, another example, uh, that the walls of materialism will eventually come come falling down, and that will be around for for the for the breakdown uh, of of this paradigm. Uh, and I I don't know what you think. I mean, but but hopefully, well, yeah, but ho- I, I basically agree with you. Yeah. And, and and obviously obviously if I didn't, it would be hard to maintain my my own enthusiasm but one has to be realistic it yeah. will take concerted effort on the part of a lot of people to exert themselves into what i call quantum activism to yes. bring the quantum worldview into fusion we have been trying for almost a hundred years now it's yeah. about time look copernicus's ideas took about a hundred years to take hold yeah. we are already almost almost in that threshold for quantum ideas and it's a shame that that scientific materialism has gained so much uh, root into our society and culture. But yes. we can overcome it. I think signs are everywhere. Uh, crisis is coming, and this is a good sign. So we'll yep. do it. We'll yep. do it. Yeah, well, I, I go back to, uh, I don't know whether it was uh, Sherlock Holmes or one of those guys who said that, you know, when when all the, uh, all the impossible theories are eliminated, whatever remains... Uh, is the truth, and it's 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 a very similar thing because the process of science and the method of science is to is to rule out theories that do not explain human experience and natural phenomena, and as long as that is the credo, as long as that's the method that we're following, I don't think there's any doubt that eventually materialism is going to go by the wayside. And we're going to have a more unified worldview. This is Philip Camilla. Yeah. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Amit, it's always a pleasure uh, 
speaking with you, and I want to say that I, I would recommend any of Amit's books. And if for those who want to open your mind to new ideas, you've got to pick up one of Amit's books. And his newest book is Quantum Creativity. Think quantum, be creative. And Amit, thanks a lot. It's always, as I said, it's always great talking to you. And I, I wish you the best of luck with your new book and, and your, your mission, uh, which is similar to mine, which is to open minds, change minds, and try to get people out of this fixation on materialism. Thank you, Phil. So thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camilla. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.